Well, again, good morning to you. I do hope that you're ready for the Word of God, yes? yes? Let's jump into the Word of God. We are in the book of Hebrews, and I'm diving in today to a passage, Hebrews chapter 6, um, that is, I would say, a sensitive passage, to say the least. It's a passage that is often misunderstood. It is a passage that many have hung their hat on, and I think for no good reason at all at times. So here's a passage that we're going to dive into, and we must read it in context. Uh, This is what I mean by that. We always say that we should read everything or interpret everything in context, right? I would hope so. But here's why it's important. There are some passages of Scripture. I even recently gave this last week, gave you 20 memory verses to look at. Really, it was more than that. But anyway, there's a lot of memory verses there. There are some passages that no matter in what context they're presented, they, they read the same, they speak the same, they communicate the same no matter what. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16. No matter what, same thing. 1 John 4, 8, right? God is love. No matter what context, God is still love. You can't change the fact that God is love. John 8, 12, I'm the light of, I'm the, light of the world. All right, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No matter what context you're in, that truth remains the same. And you can still understand it. You can still process it no matter, what, no matter what environment you're in. Well, this is a passage that you have to read in context, though. This is a passage you need to truly know what's happening in the forefront of it and what's happening behind it. All of it together, you need to, you need to wrap your mind around it. And this is one of those passages. So I'm going to even repeat several things today that maybe you've heard before, but I'm going to repeat them hopefully several times within the message because I want you to walk out of this place today going, oh, I need to think about this differently now. In Hebrews chapter 6, the author warns, this is the gist of it, the author is warning of rejecting the gospel in favor of a more culture-friendly faith. Now that is today. Nobody's saying don't believe in God. But what they're saying is that whole Christianity thing is too radical. Soften up, lighten up, everything can go. All, All paths lead to the one true God. Don't worry about it. And so what they were doing is the same thing that we're seeing happening today is that they were rejecting the gospel. These are, these are Hebrew Jewish people, right? These are Jewish Christians who have said yes to Jesus Christ. In many ways, we would refer to that as someone who is a Messianic Jew even, somebody who is a Jew but who, who claims that Jesus is the Messiah. They get that. And yet here they are and they're being challenged because faith in Jesus Christ is disrupting the culture. And their traditional faith was not. And so now they're being challenged to to relax on the Christian thing and to step into a more culture-friendly faith. Anything goes. Isn't that nice? Isn't that, guys, isn't that nice to feel? That makes you feel good. Anything goes. Do whatever you want, no matter what. No matter what you do, you're good. Just declare there's one true God. You're fine. Go home, enjoy yourself. It doesn't matter if you do other people wrong. At the end of the day, there's really no sin. There's just mistakes. Doesn't that feel, does that feel better? Because that's what the world is teaching, what many churches are teaching. But it's not, it's not reality. It doesn't work. 
And so Hebrews is being written to these people, people of faith, were being pressured to return to a less controversial faith. People who believed in Christ were being encouraged to and feeling pressure to return to a less controversial faith. So in Hebrews chapter 5, I did that last week, of course, and I spoke about the fact that the reader is accused of spiritual immaturity. It's the warnings of apostasy. We had five of them. And there are warnings that we have stepped into today and we're not paying attention to the sirens, the lights that are going on around us. We're naive. Actually, I don't even think we're naive. I think we're spiritually, I think we're so incredibly lazy. It's disgusting at many times. And we're so insecure as men and women today that we won't admit I've messed up so I'm going to chase Jesus harder. We would rather not to own up to mistakes, own up to, to problems that we've had in the past and stay in the, nev- the, the land of nothing less, the, the land of apathy, the, the land of complacency that we're currently living in. We just want to keep everybody happy, make it less controversial. So we're not going to get baptized because I know that that might offend some people in my life, so I'm just not going to do it. You're keeping it less controversial. You can't argue against baptism in Scripture. You cannot. I'll go all day toe-to-toe with you, and I'm going to use one thing that's eternal. It's called the Word of God. And I go, what are we doing? So the author is writing to the reader that's saying, wait a second, you're just trying to be less controversial because you don't like the tension that it's creating in your life, and you're forgetting the hope that you have that's eternal. And so Hebrews 6 presents this idea that this is the, the, here's the big controversy. It presents the idea of falling away from your faith. Falling away from your faith. Hebrews 6, primarily 4 through 6, we'll start with verse 1, includes losing your salvation. For some of you, like all kinds of Christian heritage, just flags everywhere. What? Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 includes losing your salvation, the risk of being disqualified from Christian service. The point is if you have learned the basic truths and you still fall away, the basic truths of faith, and yet you still fall away, you're, let's just say, I'll put it lightly, you are in a very precarious position. And what you're going to learn from Scripture is you're like a field that when it is watered still does not bear fruit and only bears thistles and thorns. And the logical thing that you do with the field that doesn't produce when it's received the water that it needs and yet it only bears not fruit but thorns and thistles and things of that nature, the only logical conclusion is to burn it. So this is going to be a fun message. I told you, 5 and 6, Hebrews 5 and 6, exhorters paradise. But there is hope as well, and we have to see that, and we will see that. Um, Hebrews 6, 1 through 6, can we stand for the reading of the Word of God? Therefore... 
let us leave the elementary doctrine of, and you fill in the blanks, the elementary doctrine of, and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if permits. For it is... Let's say that again. For it is... In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift, who've shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word in God and of God and of the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to... Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. This is the Word of God. You may be seated. One way to think about this passage, faith in Jesus means a continual pursuit of transformation. Faith in Jesus means a continual pursuit of transformation, of maturity in Christ. That's what this passage is going to teach us. We always say that transformation, or another way to think about it, is sanctification is a continual process, not a one-time event. We just keep growing and keep growing and keep growing. Ask the people around you, how, they, how have the people around you seen, how have they seen you grow spiritually in the last three months? If they see no difference, I think there's a problem. If they can't say, hey, this is how I see you growing, why is it taking longer than that for us to grow? When numerous times throughout history we see people encountering Christ, like Charles Spurgeon, I mentioned a week ago, who that very year he came to know Christ began to preach Christ. And so here's this passage for us that is going to also let us know that the elementary doctrines are referred to both in the last chapter and in this chapter. It speaks about what some of those those practices are. And then it says very clearly for us, referred to as, as basic principles or milk. Right? Last week we were challenged to move from sipping on milk. Milk's not bad, but we are to grow and to move beyond having to sip on milk. Chew some steak. Eat some real meat. And now we're going to be challenged because the author of Hebrews saw his readers as being spiritually immature. They went to the basics. They're like, oh yeah, this is good. I'll be baptized. I'll repent. But then they didn't keep growing. And there's a major problem with this. He wanted them to go beyond the basics, but they still needed milk. So you see how five and six, this is all tying together. Now remember, we add a chapter and verse a, a few hundred years later to help it, to just to be easier for us to go to those places. Well, you got to, somebody told me once, you got to preach chapter and verse. I'm like, oh my goodness, you have got to know about the word of God. We added that. When the rabbis were teaching in the New Testament church and the teachers of the law, when Christ was speaking, he didn't go, well, let me quote or let me speak to you, Hebrews 6, verse 2. But we look at this, so there, it's all tied together. It's another problem that we've had that I mentioned a week ago, is that now what we like to do is we like to teach a section of Scripture, and we don't always look at the context because we don't go, hey, what was happening in the chapter prior, and the verses prior, and the book prior? What was happening after? We don't look at the time frame. So here is in the midst of the New Testament church. It is growing. It's doing amazing things. And you have Jewish Christians who have come to know Jesus Christ, and they have actually accepted the basic doctrine but because it's creating controversy 
within their family and within friends. They're being, they're, they're being encouraged to step away from that faith in Christ and to go back to a more complacent heritage of their faith. That's what's happening. Can anybody relate to that, right? Have any of you been told by family, basically chill out with the Jesus thing in your faith, chill out with wanting to be baptized, chill out with wanting to know more of Scripture and wanting to reflect Him in everything, chill out, honey, and us wanting, you wanting us to give more and more back to the kingdom, chill out with it, right? I've been told that, I've been told to calm down a few times in my life by some of you, relax with the Jesus thing. We came here on Sunday. We just want to camp out and relax on Sunday. We are coming on Sunday to give glory and honor to God, to be empowered by the Spirit so that we can reflect and represent Him with a passion throughout the week. That's why we're here, friends. If you want a camping chair, get one this afternoon and go in your backyard. We're here to be prepared to go stand for Jesus Christ. And so... He's wanting them to move beyond the basics. He gives a couple of ideas of these basic teachings. Repentance from dead works. This is the repenting of sin. So when you repent from dead works, you literally, the word repent, we know it means if you're walking this way, you literally do a 180 and you turn around and you start going the other way. You don't go, hey, I know that I've stepped into sin and I need repentance from dead works because sin leads to deadness. And so instead of going, well, you know, I, I'm going to acknowledge this, and I'm going to try not to do that as much, and you do this. That's apathy. That's complacency. That's laziness. That's cowardice. He's saying, no, if you're repenting from dead works, you're doing this, and now you're doing this. You turn away from that. That's one of the things that he mentions here. So they get this. They get Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Another basic teaching, it talks about faith toward God. He says it very clearly. He says, listen, you go, he says, lead the elementary doctrine of Christ, go into maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. They had faith toward God. But believing in God is not the same as trusting in God. Now, this is the kicker. Believing in God is not the same as trusting in God. We often state it, even the demons believe and they shudder. It tells us that very clearly in Scripture. James 2.19, even the demons believe and they shudder. Believing in God is not the same as trusting in God. It's about giving, him, it's about giving God complete control. And so in verse 3, he says, as a result, he just walks through and he talks about instruction of washings, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. He's like, these are basic teachings. You get these things. Great. I'm not going to walk through them all right now because of the 4 through 6. We've got to camp out there more than anywhere else. But he says, and verse 3, and this we will do if God permits. So, and this we will do, if God permits. We will, what, and this we will do means this. And we will move on to maturity if God allows us to. That's verse 3. So we'll move, be, if God permits, we will move beyond the elementary doctrine that we have been relying on. 
if we have some spiritual fortitude and some spiritual guts, then we're going to step further on. If God allows us to, if we move on to maturity, we're going to start leading our homes different. We're going to start speaking to our friends different. We're going to stop doing one thing on Friday and another thing on a Sunday. We're going to actually let God rule every facet of your life. There is no, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there is nothing that is apart from Jesus. Nothing. And so if this is faith toward God. So then we jump into passages, or verses 4 through 6. Because Hebrews 6, especially 4 through 6, is about the tragic alternative to spiritual growth. Now, this is something, please hear this, it's right here for you. Hebrews 6 is about the tragic alternative to spiritual growth. Yes, people can abandon their faith, only God will know if their faith was ever genuine. I'm giving you some answers before we walk through text, on purpose. And there is so much controversy. You can, every commentator that I've read, either they do a really good job of avoiding what they really believe, or they all differ on what they believe. Because this is a saying that's popular. Have you ever heard the saying, once saved, always saved? You ever heard that? I grew up in Baptist churches, okay? So that was like a, that was like a verse. I, I remember asking my father one day, where do you find that in Scripture? And like, well, it's not a verse, but it's an, a concept. It's a theological understanding. We can debate that all day if you want to. But then we would be missing the primary point of the passage. Do I have anybody on the edge of their seats right now? I have myself on the edge of something. Like, I'm like, this, because this is something I want to make sure you hear clearly as we walk through these verses. And there's no way I'm going all the way to verse 12, just so people know in the back. Hebrews 6 is about this tragic alternative to spiritual growth. Yes, people can abandon their faith, but God will know if the faith was ever genuine. Because here he jumps in, first word, especially in Greek, is the word impossible. For it is impossible. Now, when something is impossible, that means there's no gray area. We love, to land, we love to live in the land of gray because then we can all interpret whether or not we're doing okay. You can go in your mind to something in your life that we like to live in the land of gray because then we can self-interpret how we're doing. Nobody can tell you that you're wrong. And we don't want anybody to be able to tell us if we're wrong about something. So here in verse 4, for it is, say the word, it's impossible. And it's interesting that this word is used here about impossible. Hebrews 6, 18. I'm going to give you some passages to write down real quick about the word impossible. Ready? Hebrews 6, 18. We'll get to this later on. But it says, so that by two unchangeable things... So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. So that's one of the things we know that's impossible. It's impossible for God to lie. Hebrews 6.18. We also can go to this. Hebrews 10.4. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4. It's another impossible for God. Right? 
For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is, what it's saying is, there is nothing other than the blood of Jesus that can save you eternally. It's impossible. There's another impossible where the word is used. Hebrews 11.6, it's impossible to please God without faith. It is impossible to please God without being a person of true faith. So in this book, the, the author has listed, he lists several impossibles. And he's saying, here's another one. Don't, it's impossible in the case of those who have been once enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift, who've shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the word, the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. What he's saying is it's impossible to restore them again to repentance. The once enlightened, the one who has tasted of the heavenly gift, is an understanding of elementary salvation. There's that element, that's what this is. That's the basic teaching, teachings. Go back to chapter 5 if we need to. That's the drinking of milk, not eating of steak. He says, listen, you've shared in the Holy Spirit. You've tasted the power of the Word of God and been instructed by scripture, and yet you've fallen away. Listen, a lot, these are amazing things. In fact, if, right, I'm in leadership in a church, and if someone comes to me, and, and I see in them, if leaders see, man, that's someone who gets all of this, I probably automatically go, and they're, they're a leader. Man, I need to, they need to be in leadership in the church. Look at them. And yet they're only living by basic doctrine. Now, I think one of the reasons is we have taken the, the goal of what it is to be a Christian and we put that according to our own standards rather than allowing biblical standards to rule the day. We've just made it easier. As long as I'm a good person. So here he is calling these things out. Man, here's somebody who's been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, who understands Holy Spirit and power of the word, instructed. Man, put them in leadership. But it needs to go deeper than that. These are people who have professed a faith they don't actually have. Now that's what, this is the dilemma in this passage. Is that some people would say, well, then this person never really had faith if they turned away from it in this way. This is about eternal security for some, okay? They're going to say, this is a person who never was genuine in the faith. That's the only way that they could then have it say it, said that it's impossible for them to be restored. They never really had faith to begin with. I would question that. I would question that interpretation by itself. But I said I would question it. I think these are people who have professed a faith they don't actually have. And so, yes... Friends, you can have spiritual experiences and not belong to Jesus. Right? You can get a crowd worked up. You can get people worked up and you can, you can get them all emotional and you can do this and that and everything else and you've seen it happen before, right? And we can go through many, many evangelists that we would all share the names and know those names very well and you go, wait a second, you can have spiritual experiences and not belong to Jesus. So this text is a warning against that. 
It seems that some were retreating, they were retreating from the spiritual progress that they had previously made. And he warns these Christians of the danger moving from a position of true faith. So some would say that this isn't communicating that a born-again person would lose salvation. Some think that it's communicating that a born-again person, they could be disqualified from further service in the kingdom. Others would argue that they just never actually were genuine in their faith. Now, the reason for some of that is because both John and Jesus had a mantra that said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Maybe you remember that. He often said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, repent, repent. So he was always giving an opportunity for people to repent and to be restored and to be renewed and to be redeemed. When you look at, there's seven churches in the uh, book of Revelation that it's referring to. In five of the seven, it's talking about the, the, the opportunity that they still have to repent. These are all seven churches that have walked away from their faith. They've become lukewarm. Revelation 3 talks about Laodicea, Laodicea. That was one that's known as being lukewarm. They're apathetic. They're complacent in the faith. And yet we know that they were being given the opportunity to repent. Five of the seven. Revelation 2 verse 5, it says the following. It says, remember, Revelation 2 5. I hope you really want to know scripture, by the way. If you, if you claim to love Jesus Christ and you don't want to know his perfect word that is living and alive, you don't get it what it is to know Jesus. I'll be that direct. I hope you're writing down as much as you can so that it, we know that you're five, six, seven times, whatever the study says, more likely to remember something if you're writing it. Like, I just want, it to, I want you to be so madly in love with the word, the word of God. Just that will change our world. I've come to the place in life as I'm just looking out here and I'm processing. If I have to convince you that you should love Scripture and I have to convince you to want to read the Word of God every day and you claim to know Jesus Christ, friends, really? Can we take our faith a bit more serious? I know the percentages. Revelation 2, 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Now, the words in Hebrews chapter 4, or chapter 6, rather, say, fall away. Like, if you have fallen away. So, here's this word that says... Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. And then it says, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. If you don't repent, you've got no chance of knowing what it is to be with me for eternity. 
That we know, but yet now, so this is the confusion with Hebrews chapter 6, part of it, is that it's saying, even if you have fallen away, you can repent. Yet here it says, if you fall away, you're done. Anybody see that dilemma? Yes? You there? Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. The point of this is that God can redeem those who have fallen away. So we're not speaking of those. I, I think there's a difference in the understanding of some have, have backslidden and they've said, oh man, right? And I think we've assumed that teenagers are going to automatically backslide. That is wrong. Will you quit assuming? I've preached it before. Stop assuming that because someone's a teenager, they get to do anything they want. If they have professed faith in Jesus Christ, they give up themselves to be obedient. So I'm looking at some teenagers now. If you claim to know Jesus, I don't care what your parents say. Parents, I'm sorry, I care about Scripture. If you claim to know Jesus, you have communicated that you will do everything you can to be obedient to the Word of God. It doesn't matter about anything else in your life. Can I hear at least one person say hallelujah? hallelujah? Can we stop cheapening biblical standards? So something, there's a difference between those who have fallen away and those who have backslidden. And maybe there's a difference between those two. But here's a Jewish Hebrew believer in order to receive less persecution, they're stepping back into traditional Mosaic law as to not create controversy. But friends, we, let's look at other texts. Matthew 7, 21. Let me go to this real quick. This is what happens when you know Scripture. 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Listen to this. This is good. This is in red. <laughs> that means Jesus said it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So here's the Son of God saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and, and, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is difficult to hear because we, friends, we often allow our experiences to interpret Scripture, but what we need to do is to allow Scripture to interpret our experiences. You see what I'm saying? We let our emotions rule the day. That, and so when something doesn't feel good, we start to change the way we want to interpret Scripture. But we need to allow the interpretation of Scripture to, to, to impact the way our emotions are, to in, impact our experiences and so when we read passages like this it hurts it can really be like oh wow it can be gut-wrenching Galatians 5 2 
These are words of Paul. Galatians 5, 2, write it down if you would. It says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, so if you start practicing certain things, if you start, make sure you're baptized, make sure you take the Lord's Supper, make sure you do certain principles in your life. He says, I say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. Meaning if all you do is accept another practice without faith in Christ, it's no... Christ is to no advantage for you. If you're just practicing a a ritual, a habit, without living in faith, it's to no advantage to you. It's why so many, it's one of the reasons so many people are stepping away from the faith because they actually accepted a ritual, a practice, and they never accepted faith in Jesus Christ. So they're going, what's it even matter? It's the reason 40% of the people in this community who actually go to church say it has no impact on their life. They go because mom and dad have convinced them that they better go. But it has no value to them. Paul's even saying, Galatians 5, 2, it is to no value for you. There's no advantage. It doesn't help you. And maybe some of us today are going, why don't I feel like my faith is helping me more? And you're just going through the motions, friends. You can't compromise the cross as the only means to salvation. That's the one thing you got to get from this passage. You can't compromise the cross as the only means to salvation. A Christian's persistent rejection of the Spirit's call to repentance will make him an unusable castaway to God. And... The fact of the matter is the Spirit of God is calling and prompting some of us to turn away, to repent from our sin. But what is actually happening a lot of times is that the pleasure of our sin is prompting us to actually turn away from God. Is that any of you maybe? That the louder voice isn't God calling you away from your sin. The louder voice as you try to go toward God is the pleasure of sin and it's pulling you away from Him. Now you can, st- if we go, this is um, a passage also, if you read, for it is impossible in the case of those, all these things, I've said them before, who've tasted of the word, the powers of the age to come, and then fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding them up to contempt. They, you can't crucify again the Son of God is what that's communicating and only need once he's good salvation through Christ alone so why are so many falling away why do so many want nothing to do with God well one we need to know something about this thing called eternal security we must not allow eternal security to allow us to assume there's no need to persevere I think we had this understanding of, oh, when I was little, I did such and such. So now I shouldn't have to persevere in my faith. I shouldn't have to endure in my faith. No, it's your faith that allows you to persevere and to best represent Christ Jesus in a broken world. We had this understanding that as long as I once said, 
particular words that now no longer should it be difficult, no longer should it be hard. That's not true. That's not even biblical. He has a powerful comparison here. He says in verse 7 and 8, he says, for, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it, it's a great illustration. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it, meaning the crop that you produce, if the crop you produce bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. So I just want, I want to end with these verses here. The earth drinks the rain, and as a result of having water, of having their thirst, its thirst quenched, it is to bear fruit. I think of Matthew chapter 13, parable of the sower, that the sower, the seed falls on four different types of ground. The fact of the matter is there's too many seeds, too many of us, where our seed is falling upon the ground that is, that is full of weeds and thorns. So here's the problem with weeds and thorns. Very quick illustration on this parable. Is that the weeds and the thorns in your life, they grow faster. Have you ever noticed that? So that means, one, they take more of the moisture and the water that's coming into your life, and they suck it up. So when you're not removing the sin, the weeds and the thorns in your life, you're giving it more energy than anything else. You just don't recognize it. But that's why it grows up so quick. And not only that, but it, because it grows up quicker, it blocks you and the fruit that is to be growing from the sun. It's no different than some of the trees right out here in some of our woods. And they're growing this way and this way and this way. And they're not healthy because they're just doing anything they can to get to the sun. <clears throat> and now as a result, we have a bunch of Christians, instead of growing toward God because we've allowed so many weeds, we're growing this way and this way. And our interpretation of Scripture is all just jacked up and we've lost our way. And he's saying, listen, stop, don't, don't be so concerned right now with the basic teachings, right now I'm asking you to grow more, to have a complete surrendering, a complete surrendering to God. This isn't as much about once saved, always saved, as it's about this. Only God really knows, for we know that all things are also possible with God. We know that He repents and He redeems anytime He sees fit because He is God. This is our concern in this passage. Don't walk out of here and go, well, now, what's the real answer? Walk out of here and go, man, here's what I got to walk away with. I better be growing in the name of Jesus Christ. I better be maturing in the name of Jesus Christ. I better get my head where it needs to be and my heart where it needs to be. And I need to change my family and my relationships and the way I give and the way I give of my energy and my resources and my talents. Man, I better make sure I'm taking my faith seriously. Because if not, man, I'm like that crop and the rain comes down and I've got the basic principles falling on me. The water is good, but I'm growing weeds and thorns and thistles. And at the end of the day, that's worth burning.
Oh my goodness, it's all. They can wait, amen? Let's just keep going through chapter 8. Some of you are like, what's that mean? You don't even know what chapter we're in. Hebrews chapter 6. So you got these blessings of God raining down on your life. This is verse 6, 7, 8, 9. Because there is encouragement here. Verse 9 starts encouragement. I'll pick up with that next week. There's some encouragement. But this is, maybe this is a question we need to be asking as we finish up. If you claim Jesus Christ, what crop are you producing? What is it? Thorns? Like you've got so much hatred in you. Oh, you will not forgive your spouse no matter what. And you're, all your time is praying, God, let me forgive them, but I don't want to. And you just, even in your prayer, you start getting angry because God hasn't gotten hold of your heart. And the thorn is so prevalent. The thistle is so prevalent. What are you producing? What is the blessing of God producing in you? What is the blessing of God producing in you? Maturity? Fruit? God, I come before you in the name of Jesus, and I ask for the courage, I ask for the courage to really examine what our life is producing. God, we need people who take their faith serious and are humble enough to admit wrong and hardship. We need people who are willing to to know when there are things in their life they need to really repent from and they need to distinguish between God pulling them away from their sin or sin pulling them away from their God. And so we come before you and offer you all things. In Christ's name, amen.